Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. What we're going to be looking at this morning is how living by the Spirit, we're in this series looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, We're looking this morning at how living by the Spirit empowers us to live a life characterized by peace. Now, I might have got this one wrong, but my hunch is this is going to be relevant for each and every one of us. I mean, let's face it, wherever we look right now, there's no end of reasons to be fearful and reasons to question whether or not things are going to be okay. Every time you tune into the news or hear the latest update, what's going on in our city, in our nation, in the world, uh, it's enough to demolish our peace. Yet in the midst of all the chaos and all the noise and all the confusion, there's this wonderful spectacular invitation in Philippians that we've just heard to experience the peace of God that exceeds anything we can understand. A show of hands, honesty time, bit of participation. If you could leave here this morning with more of that peace, peace that exceeds anything we can understand, who would be interested? That seems pretty unanimous, which is good news. It means you're all going to be invested in the rest of this talk. So let's take a little closer look at what Paul has to say about this piece and these incredible verses that Sophie read to us in Philippians chapter 4. Three things I want to very quickly show you from this passage. First of all, the properties of peace. Second, the possibility of peace. And thirdly, the pathway to peace. First of all, a great fun devising all of that. First of all, let's start with the properties of peace. Paul gives us a couple of really helpful insights into the properties, the nature, the characteristics of peace here in these verses. First of all, it is an inner calm. You notice how Paul says down in verses 11 and 12, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Paul's saying, I'm pretty much the same in one situation as the other. I'm okay whatever life throws at me. That's peace. It's this unshakable inner calm and contentment that transcends all of life's circumstances. Now look, probably all of us right now can think of things that are currently threatening our peace, whether it's a family relationship, financial worries, our work or our lack of work, or just the myriad of fears that fill our minds even on a daily basis, the fear of failure, fear of what others will think of us, fear of being found out, fear of missing out, or fear that our situation will never change. Faced with all of that, the thought of finding inner calm and contentment might seem to you right now as completely and utterly unrealistic. But let's just consider 
Paul's circumstances for a moment. Paul, as he penned or dictated these words, is in prison. He's facing the threat of torture and death. And yet he's able to say, I've learned the secret of being able to smile in the face of all of that. Now look carefully. Does Paul say, you know why I can smile in the face of torture and death? It's because I'm just that kind of guy. No, he doesn't say that. That is talent. Talent is something you're born with. It's like this innate ability. You just have it. I'm just one of those guys. But he doesn't go there. He says, I have learned this, which means this is something that didn't come naturally to him. Just as it doesn't come naturally to me, and quite probably doesn't come naturally to you either. But the good news is, there is a way to learn and develop this inner calm, as we're going to discover as we keep going. That's the first thing. The second thing Paul tells us about the character of this piece is it's not just an absence of fear, it's also the presence of something. In particular, it's the sense of being protected. It says in verse 7, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, the word guard is a military word. It's a very vivid word. It means to take a bunch of soldiers, to gather an entire army and surround a city with the army to protect it from enemy invasion. It's like, if I know that there's a whole army out there protecting me, I don't have to worry about anything. I can go to bed at night and I can sleep easily. Now, I think this is getting something really very important. When people try to give advice on how to be calm, they almost always, don't they, talk about removing certain thoughts. Don't think about that. Stop thinking those negative things. Just expel all the negative thoughts. That's how you get calm. But here we see the peace of God is not the absence of some thoughts it's the presence of God himself verse 9 the God of peace will be with you listen Christian peace isn't merely expelling negative thoughts because the problem with expelling negative thoughts is all you're really doing is just refusing to face how bad things really are. You're not being realistic. It's like, uh, I'm going to get calm by not facing the facts. But Christian peace isn't so much stopping facing the facts as getting a whole new living power into your life, the Holy Spirit, who enables you to triumph over those facts by lifting you up over and through them. So those are just a couple of the properties of Christian peace. It's this inner calm or contentment that comes from knowing, in a very real sense, God's presence and the reason-transcending sense of his protection. 
which is great in theory. But we're talking about the Apostle Paul here, and we probably wouldn't consider ourselves quite in the same bracket as him. But what I want us to see is that this really, really, really is for all of us. And so before we get really practical and look at some ways we can go about applying this, very quickly, I want to say a few words about the possibility of peace. Verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. So these words of Paul aren't a suggestion. No, they're more like a command. Don't worry about anything. And in the small print, they don't exclude the really tough seasons like losing a job, moving house, having a newborn, suffering a loss. Through Paul, God says to us, in every situation, do not worry about anything. Now, before we write this off as completely unrealistic for someone in our particular circumstances, let's at least just dream for a moment. What if it really is possible to live without worry? What if God is good enough and real enough and powerful enough to lead us to true lasting freedom from all the things that cause us stress? Because here's the thing. I suggest God never gives us a command without also offering us the grace to be obedient to that command. I mean, it's inconceivable, isn't it, that God, who is infinitely good, would command us to do something that we couldn't really do. For example, impossible, miraculous though it seemed, Jesus told Peter to walk on water, knowing that Peter would never sink as long as he kept trusting. Jesus commands us to live free from sin and at the same time also offers us a very real escape from our temptation. In telling us to abide in him, Jesus ensures that he is near enough, close enough for us to connect with him like a vine and its branches. And in commanding us, not to worry about anything, we can be sure that he also offers us a pathway to real, lasting peace in every circumstance. If you take just one thing away from this morning, let it be the truth that God has peace for you, whatever you're facing whatever your circumstances. Peace isn't just for someone with a different background to you or fewer mistakes in their past or less commitments or better work colleagues or more understanding friends or a less messy family situation. God is powerful enough to have had even you in mind 
when he inspired or breathed out this command, don't worry about anything. So, if, I recognize for some of us it's still a big if, but if peace is truly available to each one of us, really all that's left to live a life of peace is to try to work out, try to learn how to receive it and live in the good of it. If God commands us to live a life free from worry, then all we have to do is learn how to find his rest. And so thirdly then, let's turn our attention to the pathway to peace. There are three, again, very quick practices that I think Paul touches on in this passage. Thinking, thanking, and pays me to say it, loving. I tried really hard to find another word for loving, but I wasted too many hours on it. I couldn't think of it. So if you can figure out one before the end, just shout it out and I'll amend my notes accordingly. You've got a bit of time before I get to the third point. But at the moment it stands as thinking, thanking and sloving. First of all then, thinking. Notice in verse 8, he says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Verse 9, then the God of peace will be with you. Now, when Paul speaks of fixing your thoughts on these things, it carries the sense, not just of kind of every now and again letting it cross your mind. Now, it's talking about drilling down deep into them. It means to chew these things over, meditate regularly on them, continually pound them into your head. And although whatever is true and honorable and noble and right, it just sounds a bit generic and vague, actually it's nothing of the sort. It's like that Paul here is talking about the teaching of the scriptures. He's saying, if you seriously want peace, you need to dig deeper into the truths you know about God. Cast your mind to God's eternal purpose for the world and his plan of salvation. Consider the meaning of life. Think about ultimate reality. Fix your thoughts on those things, and over time you'll find peace growing in your life. Now look, this is so completely different from what you're going to find if you search on Amazon for books on dealing with worry and stress. They tend, don't they, to go straight away to relaxation techniques. They'll encourage you to go somewhere away from it all and just shut everything out and stop thinking about stuff. Or they'll give you thought control techniques to deal with negative thoughts and emotions. But they rarely, if ever, tell you to think. But they tend to go straight to coping techniques. All of which, don't hear me wrong, is helpful. I'm not dismissing those things. They are helpful. Keep doing them. But what I want you to see is that Christian peace comes from not switching off your brain, but switching on your brain and thinking about the implications of what is true and honorable 
and right. Like, as we dig into the truths, as we dig more deeply into the scriptures, we know that there is a God. We know that he made us for relationship with him. We know that he created a perfect world in which there was no sorrow, no disease, no death. We, we know he wanted to live with us in relationship in his creation. Of course, it's all gone wrong and we've turned from him and the world right now that we inhabit is pretty broken and messed up. But we know he sent his son into the world to rescue us. We know he's preparing a new heaven and a new earth where we're going to live with him forever and ever. Just consider for a moment what that says about our value. Think for a moment what that means about the security we have both now and into the future. While God may not protect me from every bad thing that might, has, or could happen, ultimately, because of the death, resurrection, ascension, and future return of Christ, I know that I'm safe for eternity. If you're a Christian and you believe all that truth and you're not at peace, I would humbly and very gently and tenderly suggest that you're probably not thinking enough. And so, just to underline this before we move on, there's a superficial piece, a superficial piece that says, I'm, not, I'm just going to escape from it all. I'm going to do everything I can just to shut it all out. I'm going to try my hardest not to think about anything, which can be helpful. So I'm not dismissing that. But Paul's saying there's a way to find a much deeper peace than that. And that's what I want you to press into. The Christian peace doesn't come from shutting off from stuff. True peace comes by focusing on ultimate reality and making yourself as aware of your beliefs as possible. So that's the first pathway to peace, thinking. Secondly, there's the practice of thanking. Verse 6, Paul says, don't worry about anything. And instead of worrying, he goes on to say that we're to tell God what we need, notice, with thanksgiving, which is ever so slightly counterintuitive, isn't it? What we tend to say is, you make your requests to God, and if you get your requests, then you thank. But that's not what it says. It says you thank him as you make the request. Now, why should we do that? Why should I thank him as I'm making the request? Don't I want to wait until I see what he's going to do First, why don't I kind of hedge my bets before I dive into the thankfulness bit? Now, Paul says, you're never going to be content unless you make your request, which means acknowledging that your life is in your hands. You are ultimately dependent on him. You haven't got all the solutions in and of yourself. You are asking him for help. 
while at the same time thanking him in face for whatever he's going to do. And you're never going to get true peace and contentment unless you see this. Listen, God didn't design the world to be filled with sorrow and death and violence and suffering. But he does have a plan. He does have a plan to renew it all. as a plan to redeem it, to get it back. That the plan is uh, put in the abstract in that famous verse in Romans 8, verse 28, where it says, if you love God, God is working everything together for good in your life. Absolutely everything. Even the bad things. Even the things that he hates the things he didn't put into this world, he is in some way going to weave it all together, ultimately in the end, for your good and his glory. That's wonderful truth. But it is a bit abstract. So let me make this a little more concrete. On the day when Jesus was crucified... All of his friends would have looked up at him on the cross and they would have concluded, we can't believe this is happening. This has all gone horrifically wrong. That there's absolutely no way God could bring anything remotely good out of this. We've lost everything. But all the time, they were looking straight into the face of the greatest thing God has ever ever done to bring about the redemption of the world and God's saying this is the prime example of what I'm doing in everybody's life even the terrible things the things you'd rather just airbrush out that the worst things that have happened to you God's saying I can even through all of that work things out for good as Tim Keller puts it, when we bring our requests to God, he always gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. Do you believe that? Well, to the degree you believe that, you're going to have peace. And if you don't believe it, you won't have the peace that God intends for you. So, make your requests known with, in faith, thanksgiving, grateful for the knowledge that God will provide exactly what he knows you need. And then the last practice is loving, unless anyone else can help me out. Okay, loving it is. <laughs> Let's not be disappointed, it's still a good point. Notice Paul doesn't just say, fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right. He goes on to tell us to think about things that are pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and worthy of praise. If you like, he starts off with the mind and then moves towards attraction. He's saying it's not enough just to think about the right things, it's also important to love the right things. Which goes back to Rich's helpful summary a few weeks back now, that peace, if you remember, is love at rest. 
And the reason we don't have peace is because we are loving the wrong things. I don't know whether Rich realized this at the time, but he was actually riffing off the ancient teachings of Augustine, the great African thinker who lived back in the third and fourth centuries. According to Augustine, the basic problem of the human condition is that of disordered desires or disordered loves. Augustine argues that we were created in love and for love. So we're lovers first and thinkers second. We live primarily from a place of desire, not from our rational minds. Now the problem is, we have this tendency, don't we, to at times love the wrong things or the right things but in the wrong order. For example, it's not bad to love your job. I hope you do love your job, at least at times. But if you love your career more than your family, that becomes a disordered love and will inevitably create major problems down the line. Similarly, if you have children, it's not wrong to love them. Again, I hope you do. But if you love your children more than you love God, that becomes disordered and will deform how you relate to both. And for the record, it's not wrong to love sex. God himself created us as sexual beings and commanded us to go forth and increase in number. But when sex becomes a pseudo-God that we look to for identity or for belonging or for life satisfaction or for our salvation, then that becomes a disordered love. And it's not just that it's wrong in any moral sense. It's that it can't possibly satisfy the deeper ache of the soul for love and intimacy and acceptance. It's like our body all the time just wants instant gratification, but our soul longs for something more than that. One final example. It's not wrong to love yourself. In fact, it's deeply unhealthy if you don't. However, when you buy into the mantra of our age to be true to yourself, just follow your heart, you do you, you can be whoever you want to be, the pressure of that just becomes exhausting because it presumes a control over circumstances and your life, your ability to be whoever you want to be and do whatever you want to do that we just don't have. You know, I think... That's perhaps the reason for the alarming rise in burnout and anxiety and mental health issues. We're living with this constant pressure to be something that we don't ultimately have the power to be, which means we are being set up to fail over and over again, and it is pretty crushing. The last 18 months have taught us anything. Surely it's the sobering lesson that we're way more powerless than we ever realized. And the thought that we're in control of our destiny, well, that's just a complete and utter joke. We really aren't. So, where do we look then 
what's pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise? Well, we shouldn't primarily be looking inwards or even outwards. We should be looking upwards. To quote Augustine, only love of the immutable can bring tranquility. Or, that's all the puzzled faces, in layman's terms, the only way to find peace is to love something or someone that cannot change. Unless we're in any doubt, Augustine concludes, God alone is the place of peace that cannot be disturbed. And God will not withhold himself from your love unless you withhold your love from him. And so the ultimate pathway to peace is love for God. And the more your love for him grows, the more peace you'll know in your life. Now, in conclusion, I could stand here and encourage you all to go away now and try really hard this next week to develop in your own strength these healthy practices of thinking, thanking, and loving, and then do all you can to try really hard not to worry anymore about anything. But I'm not going to do that. Because if I did that, I'd be setting you all up for failure. Because ultimately, this isn't something that comes from our own work. But as Galatians 5 spells out, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit working in us. And so, here's what I do want to invite you to do in response to this message. First of all, I've recorded five short podcasts. Well, actually, no, three so far. The other two are on the way. But uh, there will be five short podcasts that will go out over the next five days, starting tomorrow. Each one will help you engage with the Spirit to bring you to a place of peace. If you're one of the ones, and I think I saw every hand go up earlier, so you were one of the ones who indicated you'd love to have more peace in your life. Uh, I, I tell you, this is a bit of a no-brainer. An investment of just 10 minutes a day for the next week will seriously help you. Just to tip you off, um, on Wednesday, um, that, that hymn we sang earlier, It Is Well With My Soul, uh, I'm going to share a bit of the backstory to that hymn. It, it pretty, pretty well is astonishing. So do tune in on Wednesday and Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday as well. So first of all then, listen to the podcast over the next five days. And then secondly, I want to close this out by inviting the Holy Spirit to come and empower us.